Welcome to the Rod Narrow Outdoors podcast, where expert advice becomes real results. At RNA, we are public land hunters that love to share our passion of the outdoors. So join us and our pro staff team as we speak with experts in the industry to share insight and knowledge to help make hunters more successful. All right, welcome to the Rod and Arrow Outdoors podcast. Lucas Pa here, talking to you from Polaris, Montana. Podcast number one, Boots on the September Ground in Montana. So again, this is the RNA Outdoors podcast. This has been something that's been in the works for a couple of years, and we're excited to talk uh, to some experts in our field and industry around outdoors and hunting, uh, and we've got nothing short of that tonight. It's about... 1127 here uh, in Polaris, Montana, and uh, for the last couple weeks we've been chasing big rutting bulls, we've been chasing antelope, we've been chasing whitetails, I'm trying to think of what else have we been chasing, jackrabbits, grouse, badgers, badgers. (laughs) yeah, although that one will be off the record, but uh, (laughs) yeah, so we've been having a good time uh, in Montana and kind of winding down our trip, but we wanted to take some time and talk about um, kind of what we've had been going on for the last couple of weeks. And when we think about September, you know, for us, September is obviously um, one of the funnest times of the year based on it being archery season and uh, really what we look forward to every year. Uh, and it's crazy because every time I come back to Montana, it is, you know, home for me. It's where I was born and raised. But it's crazy how the years um, continue to go by. Um, you know, faster and faster. And it seems like, you know, the knees ache a little more, the pack gets a little heavier. We've packed out two elk on this trip. And um, it seems like, you know, every year that gets a little bit harder, but um, we're excited to be here and excited to to talk to a couple uh, of my close friends and guys that I consider, um, you know, excellent hunters and, uh, you know, obviously guys that have, have got it done in the field. So first I want to introduce Brandon Williams. Now, Brandon, goes by a couple different nicknames. Uh, one is called Wounded Knee. He's going to have to explain that one. And then uh, Pork Sword, he may not want to explain that one, but that is another one of his nicknames. But he drove up from Central Coast of California. And Brandon, just maybe tell us how you got branded with that name, Wounded Knee. How, how did that come about? <laughs> so last year was my first uh, first year archery elk hunting here in Montana. And when I got up here last year, we, we spike camped in for four or five days and it was my first experience with the with the archery elk hunting, so we got set up and they called a, a five point bull in for me, and we looked for him all night and we couldn't find him, so we backed out. And did you hit him? Like, did you shoot him with an arrow, or what did you do? Yeah. Oh, you smoked him. Well, okay. <laughs> at fifty, I put him. I held at fifty, and then he was at fifty two yards, and I hit him. I hit him right in the midsection, and okay. we had a pretty good blood trail to follow. So okay, we tracked him through. So we thing. found him the next morning. He started hacking on that thing, and t- yeah. t- t- tell the audience kind of what happened. <laughs> I wouldn't call it hacking yet because my se- on my second swipe, I caught my knee pretty good. Yeah, you did. Yeah, flayed her open, huh? I've got the scar to prove it. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, I remember that, and he kept trying to work on that bull. And I told him, I said, if you don't sit down. I was getting mad because I knew he had to walk out with some of that animal. So yeah. sure didn't on purpose. You for a scar, you know. Yeah. I tried. I tried to help, but you wouldn't let me. Damn it. Yeah. So who got to uh, quarter out your elk and take care of your elk? So since I cut my knee open, uh, my yeah. boys here did everything yeah. for me. I got to do that. <laughs> so that. So yeah. So 
wounded knee has a, a couple different meanings, but uh, last year he definitely he definitely earned his nickname last year, and he's got a couple nicknames this year. We're not going to talk about those. Maybe we'll do that in a future podcast. <laughs> but welcome Brandon to the show. And secondly, we've got uh, Tyler Houston here, who uh, is a Helena native, um, actually lives overseas now. Um, just kind of tell us a little about yourself, Tyler, and I think you had a pretty long flight here to do this, didn't you? Yep, definitely. Looking forward to it every year. Um, you know, always uh, the wife kind of gets angry that I schedule our one vacation a year normally right around hunting season. So <laughs> it's what I live for. You know, so I think we all live for and what we like to do. And I, I live overseas, been there for almost eight years now. And every year I try to come back um, mostly for archery season. That's where I prefer to hunt, but come back for rifle season every now and then. Yes, it's a long flight. Got uh, twin daughters now that have to come with me, and cool. they're almost four and a half years old, and it's a long flight. 26 hours, usually 26 to 28 door-to-door from Dubai. Wow. So it is a long trip, but, you know, I come back every year because I love hunting, and, you know, I love these guys that we're hunting with here now. Lucas and Brandon are good guys, and a couple other fellows that we get to uh, get out here and enjoy the outdoors in southwest Montana. You know, we're staying at our cabin up here in, in Polaris at Fortunately, that is one good thing about living overseas. It has given me some opportunities to find a good place here, and uh, we've kind of pinned down some good areas to hunt, and we've had some pretty good luck here the last few years, and, you know, we're going to keep it up, and we're going to continue uh, doing this RNA outdoors thing with, with Lucas here. We started this, and, you know, we're all excited about just continuing hunting and doing what we love and keeping the passion going. Tell me tell me about the hunting in Dubai. I mean, what, what are you hunting over there? I mean, because uh, I know your passion. You find... Cheap products, I guess, is what tries to happen over there. <laughs> There's yeah. probably not a There's whole lot. Cheap, over there. cheap oil. Okay. okay. Yeah, your Gas hunt, hasn't changed in the last uh, oil. six years. That's about it. No I can't imagine there's again. like a, a, a lizard or something in the desert that you could hunt there. But It's pure sand. Sand, and uh, there's not even sagebrush over yeah. there, my friend. Nothing. A little bit of ocean. Yeah. So good. So, so we've got a few topics we want to cover tonight. Um, specifically, it's going to be around elk hunting. And just kind of talk through, I think we all have different backgrounds. We've all grown up, obviously, differently. Our parents either took us hunting, didn't take us hunting. You know, and we have um, different ideas about what we think around elk hunting in terms of, you know, what do we think are better tactics versus being aggressive versus staying back and calling. So we're going to talk about some of that tonight. And then we're going to kind of wrap it up and talk about just some things hitting um, you know, the, the public lands and in, in not only in Montana, but all across the U.S. and kind of a movement to move a lot of that federal lands into state management and what that could mean for, for us as, you know, DIY hunters, which is really the basis of Rod and Arrow Outdoors is to help, you know, your average public land DIY hunter be more successful in the field. So before we jump into that, I, I do want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, just a recap of events so far. So you know, I'll start out. I got here um, Labor Day weekend and uh, started out. You know, hunting. We're hunting Southwest Montana, so we're in uh, you know you know high country, Rocky Mountain elevation, high um, mountains, and um, we start off. We're getting into elk. You know, every day we were coming off a mountain, and uh, one of the guys I would say, "Hey, there's a small section of BLM land up here." or state land that we can get you on, there's probably a whitetail running around. I said, okay, well, that'd be cool. I got a whitetail tag, an elk tag, and an antelope tag. So as we're driving down, I'm looking in this field, and I'm seeing probably 15 onyx, bucks. Onyx maps, right? Yeah, onyx. Yeah, well, that's key, buddy. Yep, 
Yeah, I, we're going to throw a plug in yeah, for we Onyx might Max. Yeah, a plug in there. But right? I think everyone should use that. <laughs> so, you know, you cut Onyx and you cut this little triangle piece off the side of the road, and that's where all these deer were. So I was fortunate to be able to squeeze in there and uh, get a small little 4x4 four four, uh, or four point whitetail uh, with my bow. It was a 40, I believe it was about a 42 yard shot, and he was the one buck that, that gave me. A shot. So, what time I, was that during the day? I mean, most people are home sleeping, taking a nap, you know, and <laughs> eating lunch and stuff. And what were you doing? Yeah, so I came off the mountain at noon, and by one o'clock, I had my buck down. So, See? for those of you that think hunting only in the morning and in the late evening is the right time, uh, there's never a wrong time to be out hunting, in my opinion. No so, big deal. Walk in the willows, bucks down in four minutes. Yeah, yeah it was <laughs> walk in. Right there in the willows, he was probably done and piled up in about six and a half minutes. So. <laughs> you made the effort, though. Most people are driving by, you know. And, yep. Hey, that's how you kill folks. No, exactly. So, no so that was good. That was great. And then a couple other folks in our group, um, Tyler, like you said, Tyler flew in. He smacked an antelope. He'll talk about that. Uh, and then uh, um, a couple other folks that we're going to talk to later in the, in the, in the, in the show, maybe podcast too. Um, they've actually shot some, some whitetail bucks as well and some antelope. So, and then to kind of wrap it up, um, last week on 9-11 on the day, uh, we got into some pretty good elk, again, hunting the same area, southwest Montana. And uh, it was getting pretty late. I had Tyler and Brandon both behind me. They were up probably two to 300 yards back uh, on a slope. And, and Tyler was bugling and calling. And Brandon was probably wondering what the heck I was doing, but I pushed in on some elk and was fortunate to uh, stick a pretty good-sized five-point, um, probably not in the most ideal location, but um, I've been in the situation before. We let him sit through the night and came back the next morning, and Tyler actually spotted him um, up on the hill within, what, we'd say 100 yards? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. 100 That's yards of where I hit him. You know, not pushing the animals when you, when you stick one, you know, and you yep. don't know if it's a great shot. and. You know, you bump those, and you might be running for miles with those things. And sometimes it's better just to back out. It's a cool day. We knew it was yep. going to be cool that night. No way, even Absolutely. if it did die closely, the meat was going to be fine. So, yeah, sometimes you got to do that. Came in the next morning uh, and found him and, and got him cleaned up. So, was very fortunate this trip so far. I've still got one tag to punch, and maybe hopeful tomorrow is the day. But if it doesn't happen, I'm I'm pretty satisfied with the season I've had this fall. And one last plug I got to give. Tyler made up some. Some some Crown Royal Reserve here, so <laughs> I got to give it up to that. So yeah, that's right. So that was kind of my recap so far. Night, that's what we do. We <laughs> Brandon, tell us about uh, your trip. Highs and lows, emotions. What's oh, what's man. happening on your trip? Well, I, de- I definitely yeah, have. You definitely have. Uh, I definitely have to say out of the one guy on the trip, mm-hmm. this guy has been through the ups and downs of hunting. Right? Oh, Second goodness. season elk hunting. I thought I was going to have to take his bow and a pair of scissors and cut, cut the, string the string off his bow. I even threatened him with that. Because when a guy starts to run low on arrows, you know that we've got a problem. And but at one point when he puts his bow away and says, okay, I'm done, I've lost all confidence. And I said, hey, man, get that out. You never know. We still yeah. got to go down. We got to find some elk. You're going to have a chance. That's for sure. I've got, both of the, I've got best of both worlds on this archery elk hunting stuff. Last year we were able to call them in, and we would bring them in on a rope and – this year, they're, they're not really responding to any calls, so we had to be aggressive and hunt them. But as far as this year's trip goes, I've... I hit so, you, so you drive here, tw- how many hours? Yeah, eight, 18 hours. So with, he's with eight, the hour ahead. 18 yeah. hours straight on the road. Straight, just fuel. Gets here, takes a two-hour nap. We strap them up in the elk woods. And what <laughs> happens within about 40 minutes of your first elk hunt getting here 
in Montana. Uh, what heard, happens? I heard a cows come through and a, a bull's at the back end of the herd and I held on 60 and whammo. So whammo, what's whammo mean? Wham sauce, you smacked him? Or? <laughs> he, I definitely hit him. It was a loud smack. But. So you get here from driving that far and you get into elk that quick. And an arrow's already flying through the Great Divide. Arrow's already flying and you smack one. The so. elk gods are loving you, buddy. <laughs> elk gods are loving you. Was that not an unbelievable night, first night, down oh, in that draw in that meadow? Oh, man, they I've were never fired up. You know, I've been elk hunting for not a long time bow hunting, 10, 20, you know, 10 years bow hunting, but I've been elk hunting since I was 10 years old with my old man, and that was by far one of the most fun nights I've ever had elk hunting. There was bulls bugling. Five minutes into the hunt, Brandon, Brandon releases an arrow. Unfortunately, we didn't end up recovering that bull. It was, uh, nope. you know, it wasn't a, it wasn't hurt real bad. So unfortunately, yeah. but you know that's how it happens. And sometimes a bow hunt, but it was an incredible hunt. I mean, just absolutely incredible today. It was electrifying to sit down there, and Tyler was behind me, and he starts bugling, cow calling, and this five point comes out to. I can't even remember, 40 yards, maybe 50 yards, and he just stood there broadside, and I'm thinking, okay, it's opening day for me. <laughs> and I, I have, my standards are pretty low, but on the first four to five days, I won't shoot a rag or a five-point. I mean, that's just kind of a small one. If it's a good-sized five-point, six-point, I'm all in. So we were trying to pull the six-point in, and Tyler had him on a leash, but he was hanging up at about 100 yards, and he had some cows there, and there was another spike. But... Just the bugle action and the cows were mewing. Um, I mean, it was to be into elk on your first night hunting with your. What's that saying they say though? Well, you shoot on the first on the last day. You should shoot on the first day. That's what they say. <laughs> That's yeah. what they say. But hey, there's times that uh, you don't end up filling that tag. You know the philosophy. You said, Sometimes you got to hold out if you want to shoot the big one. Exactly. Me, me, on the other hand, uh, if it walks in front of me, I'm shooting it. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us about last night. So. You know, you've you've hit your lows. We've, we've we, you know we've, you've hit some elk. Well, that was one of them. That was one of them. So so tell us about what happened yesterday, yesterday evening. All right, we we start getting back into elk and. So we we got on we got on these screaming bulls down the canyon and like I said before they weren't responding to calls. But you might have to back up that. I mean, this was amazing. Earlier in the day, eleven thirty in the afternoon, we're yeah. hiking in on some elk and we look out across this ridge and there's. It looked like ants scattered across the hillside, didn't <laughs> yeah, it? I mean, it was amazing. There was elk everywhere. I mean, it was just shocking. 500 yards away, and they were just yards. coming across this hillside, bulls bugling, elk coming in. I've never seen anything like this. This is DIY public land, remind you. This is no private yeah. ranch that we're hunting in. Uh, <laughs> we humped in there about, well, that's about four miles back in there, Lucas. Probably. Like that. I yeah. mean, it was a hunt. And we, we hiked in up and down some hills and and just seeing these elk come across and they're bugling like crazy. and we went up on the hillside and they went and bedded down and we all took a nap at one point i think brandon was still kind of antsy to go shoot something but yeah we were just sitting on the hillside taking a nap thinking right what are we gonna do next he's out gonna come out and sure enough it was four oh, i looked at my watch it was 407 and i hear in the distance first bugle first bugle yep. hammer up and let's just, go get them so it, it didn't stop from there so we got into these elk and we set you guys up and just talk about what was happening inside the woods in that bedding area where we were at. Have you guys ever been in any oh. situation like that before on public land? Yeah, I mean, it was amazing. Seeing that many elk, I mean, there's, we counted what, how many, 9, 10, 12 bulls? Yeah, I counted 100 yeah. elk. I lost track at 100. At least 12 bulls. One good big herd bull. One good big herd bull, a couple yep. six points, and a lot of raghorns and stuff, but I mean, I've never seen anything like that. I mean, Spikes and cows, cows, it was just, unbelievable. Just everywhere. We walk in there, and I mean, we, we 
cruise down the hill and, you know, Lucas being the smart guy that he is, it's killed more life than the rest of us. You know, doesn't want to lose elevation, so we come around the hill and, you know, we set up and we kind of start cow calling and bugling just to see if we could, uh, you know, we were chasing this herd for three, four days. We knew they weren't really responding very well, so we move in and, and uh, you know, we got a couple elk bugling down below, up behind us. There's three or four yep. bulls just bugling everywhere, so... Lucas is kind of standing back behind us, and he's already got his tag filled, so he's our he's our champion caller. He's the uh, he's the guy that's going to bring him in for us, so we can stick another one. So we you know we sneak in, and I kind of leave the leave the group. We're all set up, kind of fanned out, just hoping some bulls would come in. And I kind of leave the group and go over across the hillside, thinking you know, they're not responding, so I'm going to get in, get aggressive. Lucas always says, "Let's get aggressive." Yeah, <clears throat> I think it works. It's Don't good advice sometimes. If they're not coming in, you got to kind of get in on them. So we moved in and. I moved in myself and hand crawled probably 80 yards on my belly, you know, up and over logs and got right in on them and ended up having a nice six-point come in. Lucas kind of, you know, distracted him enough. I got in and unfortunately I uh, took a shot. Brandon was right up behind me and thinks I hit a branch. I don't know. I think I just made a bad shot. You know? <laughs> How far of a shot was it? It was only 35 yards, unfortunately. Oh. Yeah, that's a tough. That's a nice six-point nice six nice six point, yeah. bull for DIY. But yep. Mind you, right before I shot, I, I crawled in. To see where you were because the bulls kind of shut up for a minute. So yeah, I crawled in to see where you were, and all of a sudden I had to get down because forty yards from me is a six-point bull staring at me. So yeah, well, I'm hearing I'm hearing this guy down in the river bottom just screaming his guts out, guttural, deep bugles. I'm saying all the elk are we going go down, down yeah. all the bulls are going down. So I said, where the heck's Tyler at? So. Brandon Little starts know, walking through. Next thing I know, fifty yards from a yeah. big six-point. Tyler's set up on a six-point. And when I see Brandon drop down, I start cow calling again, and that's kind of when it fired back up again. Yeah. I think that's probably the only bad part about being the caller, right? You got to sit back; you don't really know. You don't what's know what's going, going on. on. Yeah, you can't see anything. I'm on. It must have been 45 minutes went by. We were in there, and I'm sneaking in on these elk, and yeah. taking two steps at a time, glassing, just checking to make sure you don't get busted. And uh, sure enough, I miss these elk, and you know, down the hill they went, but they weren't really spooked, and you know, so so we come back, meet up, and. We go down the hill, and Lucas says, well, let's go get after let's him. Go let's get him, let's yeah. go get aggressive. Let's, so we, we, Brandon and I, motor on down the hill. and We definitely stayed on him for sure. Yep. So what happened? I mean, what, was, what happened after that? T- Tyler and I moved down moved down the ridge about, what, 150, 200 yeah, yards? Yeah, if that. Yeah. If that. They were still in there. So Tyler and I got behind a tree, and uh, here comes this five-point walking up the meadow towards Lucas because he was calling behind us. And I was trying to range him for Tyler, and I kept hitting branches. And then he he come he comes closer to us to us and then turns around and starts walking back. He did the, the old way. sniff test? Yep, that was in the air. I think yeah. he smelt us. Yeah, it must have been something Brandon's deodorant or something. But he smelt us and he turned around. <laughs> he wears and... cologne when he goes hunting. So. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I used preferred stock or I used to, hey, not anymore. But he didn't have a pedicure before he came on, did you? <laughs> uh, ask my wife about that. Um, so you, so that five point came in your sight picture, huh? How many yards? So I mean, this was yeah. this is a picture perfect hunt right here. So absolutely, this bull comes in and it wasn't a big bull, but anyways, it's a we're hunting, we're out gun DIY, we shoot what what comes and presents us a shot. So this bull comes in and I'm asking Brandon just slightly behind me, three feet behind me to the left, and say how far is he? Forty five yards, and he comes up and he smells it. You can see the nose come up in the air, and that bull turns and I cow call, and he stops right behind. It was open country, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, it was pretty open. open in there, absolutely. So he stops right behind a branch and right behind a tree, and I say, Brandon, I can't shoot, I can't shoot, you know, real quiet like that. And uh, I say, can you shoot? He said, yeah, I can shoot 50 yards. And Brandon pulls back, and 
Wham. There's a sound, you know, that with, with release the, of the arrow and the thwack and with sure the, enough. With the lows of this trip, I haven't been very confident, but Tyler, right before I shot, bull standing 50 yards away, and Tyler whispers to me, take a deep breath. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> There's Calm a lot down. to be said about that. And aim small, miss small. And that's exactly, he did. Yep. exactly what he happened. Did. Smacked him. How far did he go? He went 60, 70 yards. 60, 70 yards and yeah. expired right there. So the cool thing about the whole hunt was is, is that, you know, obviously Brandon got to fill his tag. But what was even better about it is it was late in the evening and we had about a, what, probably a four, three to four mile pack out. Oh, yeah. yeah. So always, so that's when the always. that's when the work started. And I nope. think... We left. We got done with the bull at nine, and we got back to the truck by about eleven. So it's no easy feat doing yeah, that. Yeah, that was a fun. I mean, I think the advice there is, you know, you, even if it's it's daunting task to sneak in on a hundred. I mean, there was at least a hundred head in that. Yeah, a bunch. And oh yeah, we snuck right in. People aren't thinking they're bugling, and I mean they're bugling. They weren't coming to calls. It was tough, so we snuck yep. in there quietly. And you know, I think that's all these DIY hunters that hunt public land is don't give up. Get aggressive. Get in on there. Yep. Get in on them. Yep. And Absolutely. Eventually you might get a shot. You know, you might bust them out of there, but, you know, you, you could get a shot. And that's exactly what happened to us. We actually got two arrows released. One was a, one was a kill shot and one was a miss. That was me, of course. But but we got next time. Next time. And with being <laughs> two years' experience on this archery elk hunting, I, did, I do know one thing is they are they are creatures of habit. So if you get on you get on some elk like this, they're more than likely going to be there again. So. Yeah, at some point they're going to at some point within five to seven days, they say the elk will, will cross back back into that path. So this is a good segue. So part of the podcast we want to talk about, we've got a few topics that we want to cover, um, specifically again around elk hunting in Montana. But let's talk about that first night. So we drop down into that meadow. And Brandon, you're a ways back. You were looking for, you know, you were tracking your bull that you had hit. But Tyler and I dropped down, and I want to talk a little bit about elk behavior, some of the talk that they do, and the sounds they make. What what I found interesting, and this is a question for you, Tyler, every time that that six-point would bugle, you were trying to emulate what that what that elk was saying. Is there a reason why, or, or is, there, is there something that tells you, hey, if he does a just a regular locate bugle, I'm going to locate back versus you know, trying to, to try to cut him off and challenge him or what was your thought yeah, I mean, process? I think, at, I think at that point, normally I, you know, normally I try to cow call when wolves are bugling. I try to cow call when I get close to them thinking, you know, they think it's, it's a cow out there. She's hot. She's uh you know, he can come in and bring her back into the group. And, you know, these bulls just weren't responding to any cow calls. So we went in on them and we, you know, we cow called a bit and they're just hanging out there. So, you know, I got a bit aggressive with a cow call and a, or with a bugle, and a couple times that he'd bugle, I'd emulate or I would uh, cut him off. And sometimes that made him angry, and mm-hmm. you know, he wasn't—he was definitely the biggest bull in the bunch. So he'd come in a little bit and play in and play out. And uh, I think the the philosophy behind that was just trying to just trying to make him angry, like it's aggressive. Yeah. Hey, somebody, there's a new bull coming in. He's trying to, and he didn't run him off. I mean, you have to, you know, sometimes there's you run that risk that they can just run off. You bugle Absolutely. like that. But he was entertained by it, and he came in. You know, we ended up calling up a, a five-point, smaller five-point that uh, that you didn't want to shoot at the time. But, yeah. you know, we uh, – I mean, that was the philosophy behind it. They just weren't coming to the cow calls. Not probably quite in full in full rut mode where they would have came in and challenged it. But, you know, just something to change it up a bit. You know, sometimes they're, they're not responding to cow calls. They'll hang up. You know, there's – especially with that group, there was how many cows in the bunch? Probably – 50 to 60 head of cows, so I don't think he was real interested in coming in on a new cow, so, you know, we we tried to change it up a bit. I think it was early enough in the season that you're not going to spook him away with a different different bugle, 
Um, when you do that later in the season, sometimes when they got other cows, they've been breeding, they're usually going to take off on you. But early in the season, sometimes it's 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 manageable to do something like that. Yeah. So I, another scenario that I thought about was when we were back in yesterday and uh, we had all those bulls bugling. I, I think I counted six different bulls at any time bugling back and forth to each other. And it was interesting when I was cow calling, they were very receptive to that. But I was listening to the different bugles and you had kind of a light locate bugle down to the bottom right of us. Then you had this contact bugle, which kind of had kind of a, just a throaty, you know, guttural. And I think that was that big six point. Then you had ones up on the ridge that were within a couple hundred yards of us that were ready to challenge. Cause every time they would bugle, I would hit them back with a challenge or anytime I would bugle, they would hit me back with a challenge. So I knew that you had some guys that were probably more interested in breeding then you had some guys that were a lot more interested in fighting. And the six point that came in for you, Tyler, that you shot at, was he was he more in fight mode or breed mode? I would say fight mode. I mean, he's definitely he was, but he wasn't interested in new cows. I mean, I think he had enough cows, and I think you know, such a big herd like that. I've actually never really hunted a big herd like that where there's so many bulls in a dominant bull and some smaller six points. And uh, I mean, I think they all had kind of their own set of cows, and they just weren't really interested in. And coming into cow calls. So I think the challenge definitely worked because that's yeah. the only way I got the shot last night was that bull was hanging out there about 60, 60 to 80 yards, not really giving me a shot. And finally, you know, he started pushing his cows down the hill and you ended up bugling. You had no idea what I was doing. No, you I just couldn't hit see it. You just timed it perfectly. And that bull walked out and he t- I had he a pretty turned, small he window. And towards and a bugle. He did. He turned in. I think he came in to challenge it and uh, he wasn't going to come all the way in for sure. But he came in to where we could get a shot at him, and uh, you know, I unfortunately I think I hit a branch or something. Maybe I just missed a shot, but it was uh, it was unfortunately we didn't get that bull, but it definitely worked to bring that bugle in and kind of challenge him mm-hmm. a bit. So, what's been the so from the time we started till yesterday? Now, Brad, and I'll ask you because you've been you've been hunting pretty hard the last five to seven days. Mm-hmm. What's the change in behavior you've seen from kind of when we first started calling elk and? not being very receptive to yesterday. What's kind of, what have you seen difference in the elk over the course of the last five to seven days? Well, the, the, the first day we were in there, they, they, it was like an elk language. When you guys, you guys are talking about the first day down in that meadow, it, I was standing back two or 300 yards and every time you guys called, they responded and it was just lit up. I mean, I had, I was four, three, 400 yards behind you guys and I had elk all around me too. So, but we, we hunted it hard for the next three or four days and some some days they you would call and call and call and I mean what was happening three, we were calling at them and what they they would go the other way Nothing. They, they were not interested one not not one bit I mean, we had bulls and cows in a couple hundred yards and it's like okay do you spot and stock so we did that we kept we, getting busted we actually Tyler and I um, when you were taking care of your bull Tyler and I went down the ridge and we actually witnessed a herd of elk and some bulls. And when we would call, they literally went the other way. So, yeah. I mean, sometimes sometimes they're not receptive, and other times it can be really hot. Yeah, it's odd. It's in the middle of September that there. It's not receptive, and it's, it's very odd. I think this is an area that gets a lot of pressure, where they, you get a lot of calls. And I mean, you gotta you gotta understand what you're hunting too is where you're at. If you're out in the middle of nowhere and you know there's you're ten miles from the nearest person, is the elk are probably a little more receptive. But when they get called a bit, they're a little more call shy, and sometimes you just have to get aggressive, spot and stock, obviously, and. In Montana, if anyone's ever hunted Montana, is 
especially the western part, southwestern part, is usually not a a good option. It's a little more timbered country. It's a little tougher to hunt. But, you know, sometimes you can get on on them enough where you're sneaky, you use stealthy moves, you know, you uh, kind of watch what you're doing, make sure you use your glass a lot, make sure there's... You know, heads are down before you make your move, and you can get in on them. I mean, yep. you can. You definitely can. All it takes is that 10, 15 yards for them to move in your direction, and it'll happen. Yeah. Well, well hell, you'd think we were hunting a different herd because last night they were they were on fire again. Yeah. When two days prior, they wouldn't they wouldn't It's amazing what a, a storm can do, a weather change, a pattern, anything like that can either make them completely quiet or it can just totally flip the switch on these elk and and we did have some rain but yeah it's funny how we've hunted actually we've hunted about three different areas and the behavior that i've noticed between all three areas has been different um specifically in one of the areas we hunted in um, the elk were out in the open bedding during the day and were pretty vocal uh, in the evenings not so much in the morning and then um the area that we got our elk in were very, very quiet. We're very call shy. Yes. Um, anytime we would call, um, they would shut up. They were not really open to bugling. We would hear bugling in the morning, then we'd go in at them, and then it was just like the light switch went off. And then you're in spot and stock mode. And on a herd of 50 elk, you know, when you got got 100 eyes that can see 180 degrees either way <laughs> in in the back of their head, yeah. it's just hard to yeah. to get around and, and get in on those elks. I, I think the behavior's been interesting, you know, you were talking about it. You know, last year we were calling an elk. We had them on a leash. They were coming in. Whether we were set up right or not, you know, was obviously one of the variables. But this year we haven't had a whole lot of the traditional caller back at 100 yards, call them in to 30 yards and make the shot. I just it, it, We've had to kind of put on a little bit different lens this year and, uh, you know, hunt these elk differently. And that's uh, That's what's so hard for me is my first year was last year, and it was – they responded to calls and they came in for us, and yeah. that's, that's that's just how I thought elk hunting was. Yeah, and then you, I come yeah, I come here this year and I'm like, wait a fortunate minute. last year, buddy. I'm like, wait a minute. Yeah, you did. That's lucky. I mean, he uh, shows up, he heads to the Hoyt store, gets a whole new setup, <laughs> gets lined out with first light camo, and I take him out here and he slaps a five point bully, saying, "Man, this is easy." I'm cuts like, my knee open. So I'm like, you know, when you really look at the statistics. About one out of every five people actually kill an elk in the state of Montana. That includes <laughs> archery, muzzleloader, and rifle. So, to be two for two, two years in a row, that's 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 way beyond. Good so job. There's something there that you're doing that you've learned that is obviously putting meat in the freezer uh, for you for the whole year. So, I think the thing is we hunt hard when we come out. When you guys are coming yeah. out, we're all you know we're all you know Lucas and I are Montana natives, and you know all we do is dream about the sun year round. I think every driver wives crazy for three hundred oh, whatever yeah. it is forty five days a year, yep. and we come out here for twenty. <laughs> and uh, you know I think it just we hunt hard. We we hike. You know sometimes we got lucky the first night we heard bulls bugle <laughs> ten you know five hundred yards from the truck and. You know where we ended up shooting the bulls. We were four or five miles back in. So sometimes you just gotta you just gotta hunt hard, find where the elk are. I mean, is it safe to safe to say that we put on ten miles a day, boys? I mean, yeah, I'm pretty safe close. to say that. Yeah, you yeah, boys, more more. You guys were kind of more. You guys were kind of eating in restaurants and relaxing the day while my, <laughs> my brother-in-law Ben. Yeah. Ben, the matriarch Miller, or I were only, back in the same spot. So, <laughs> hey, there's only so much Taco John's you can eat, right? There's when only you, so many six pack and a pounds <laughs> you can you can leave on the mountain as well. So, <laughs> so let's talk about our next topic around the best time of September to hunt. So, what was interesting about the 2016 season was the calendar shift, and, and what happened was is actually we were 
basically set forward a week. So what that did this year was actually set a full moon in what we would consider the primo, you know, week anywhere from about the 10th to the 18th time frame um, for elk hunting season. So, but I think if you still ask me and when you look at, I was actually charting this not too long ago, all the elk that I've shot with my bow, I've shot three bulls and I bet I've shot probably five or six cows with my bow. Um, they've all been on the average mean like around the 13th of September. So what that tells me is, is that, you know, anywhere from like the 10th to the 16th has been kind of that time frame for me that I've been most successful. And uh, I know last year we were talking about it. I said, I know we're going to have a bull down between the 12th and the 14th. And and we did. We had a bull down, hit on the 13th and recovered on the 14th. So Mm -hmm. I don't know what it is about that time frame. It's still a little bit of a pre-rut time frame, but it just seems like the bulls are a little more susceptible during that time. They haven't quite built up a harem of cows to, to start their breeding cycle. And I think... Um, they're in a phase where, you know, you can still probably call in a good herd bull if possible and probably get after, uh, you know, maybe a satellite bull uh, that may come in off of a call. But what you guys think about September, if you had one week a year to hunt, I'm going to ask both of you this question. If you only had one week a year for archery season, and I don't care if it's Colorado, Montana, anywhere, what week, Brandon, would you hunt? In the month of September, uh, it's got to be the 11th to the 18th. So that time frame. Oh yeah. And is that because you've been most successful during that time frame, or absolutely? And that's yeah. that's the. T- I mean, last year was the 13th, like you said, and this year was the 15th, and yours was the 11th. Yeah. And yours last year was the 15th. Yeah. So I mean, in the year prior, um, or the year before that, I shot my bull on the 14th, my 14th. six points. So. Yeah, I think there's something to be said about that time. But Tyler, I know you you've had experience late in the season too, even mm-hmm. into October. And I know you've kind of said, "Man, if I had to choose a time, it may be in that peak to late part of the rut." Yeah, I'm gonna think it kind of depends. Well, for one thing, if I can only take one week, I'd probably end up quitting my job and saying I need two weeks and <laughs> yeah. find something no, else I to agree. do. So <laughs> one week is pro- one week is not enough. One week's but. enough just to find out where the elk are. Obviously, if you're out of state, you don't get to do a lot of scouting and stuff. So, you know. I would say, you know, you need two weeks to get out here. If you want to come out and do some elk hunt and really get into some things, you might kill one the first day, but I think it depends. I mean, uh, you know, obviously early early season, the first week, is probably your best chance to kill a big bull when they're just trying to find yep. cows. I and uh, I mean, I think everyone, you know, we're not major big-time bull hunters. We, uh, we just want to shoot for meat. We love the elk meat. That's what it's for. It's high in protein. It's great meat. It's... Uh, you know, it's organic, like everyone says nowadays. Yep, uh, grass-fed, right? Yep, grass-fed, filled the table, right? So I think, that, you know, the best week, it just kind of depends what you want to do. I mean, I'd say the 11th to the 18th, like uh, Lucas and Brandon have said, is definitely it's prime time for elk. That's probably where you're going to see the most elk activity. You're going to see the most bugling. It's going to be hit and miss. Sometimes you might find an area where they're really cow calling, they're coming in. You know, I mean, I think if you're... If you're an out-of-stater, you want to come here to Montana and hunt, and you really want to you just come in and shoot a bull, I think, to be honest with you, the post-rut, the, the second run, is probably the best time to hunt. It's the, the last week of September, first week of October. You're not going to probably have a chance of shooting a big bull. The big bulls are herded up. They're pretty much with their cows. The chance of finding something big and it to come in is difficult. But you have these satellite bulls that, you know, there's still some cows that are coming in late season. Um, you know, they're an estrus. They'll come in really fast to a call. I mean, I've had really, mm-hmm. really good luck in the late season. And uh, I think it just depends on what you want to do. 
Um, and the weather gets a little gets a little sketchy towards the latter part of September, early October. You might run into six six inches of snow. You might still be in the 70s. It just depends on what you want to do. But the post rut is definitely a good time. Um, the 11th to the 18th is definitely probably a prime time when there's most activities going on, and you'll see some elk. But I think it just kind of depends on what your goal is. If you want to shoot a big big bull, I suggest coming early. Sure. Early is a time when you can uh, the big bulls are most acceptable to coming in, and I know Lucas, you agree with that. It's uh, you mm-hmm. know you try and get them. You know, we talked about this this year when we're coming up when we set our dates. Is you know let's go in for some big bulls. Let's try and find yep. some. We've been on a few big bulls, but I think it just depends on what your what your goal is to hunt, and uh, you know that's key with Montana. It's it's a five week season. I mean you've got a long time to hunt. Yep. You're basically going to go through all cycles of the rut. So yeah, no, I agree. I mean I. I always think about, you know, the early part of the season and, you know, trying to find maybe a bull that's still got velvet on him and he's still just trying to figure out, you know, you know, kind of what his, uh, you know, where he ranks and amongst the group. And, but then I think about it, you know, once you start to get to the point where they start bugling and really getting active with the cows, I mean, to me, that's the best part of the rut to hunt is when you're into bulls, you hear them bugling first thing in the morning, you can get in on them versus, you know, the silent treatment, because usually early in the year, they're pretty quiet. Um, but a lot of times you can find them over water in other areas when it's hot in those early September months. But I don't, I think overall, I think if you break it down, I think, you know, our success has been, you know, the middle part of September. And, uh, you know, I think obviously there's, there's a lot to be said about that when, you know, elk are, are hitting the ground, you know, anywhere from that second to third week of September, that tells me something that, you know, something's working. So, but I agree. I think there's a lot to be said about the post rut and the in the peak of the rut as well. But it is it's really tough to pull you know a herd bull off of his group when he's already got you know quite a few cows rounded up already. But okay, good deal. So we're going to talk through a little bit of a scenario now. So um, again, various backgrounds of elk hunting here. Um, some have been elk hunting for many years. Some it's relatively new. But one scenario that you know I've been posed that question before, and we've kind of talked a little bit about it. But I think. It's good to elaborate a little bit about, you know, what our value is. Are we out here trophy hunting public lands? Are we trying to find, you know, a good respectable animal that, you know, we can feed our families and, and share that with? So I'm going to pose the question. You've got a scenario, and I think I know how one of, one of our guys is going to answer this because <laughs> he kind of he followed through with this process. But it's on opening day, your first day here, Brandon, okay? Would you shoot a raghorn bull on the first day? There's no doubt in my mind. The meat eater. Brandon the meat eater, buddy. Meat on the table <laughs> and horns on the wall. What if this is a guy that just can't wait to come back and just start cutting up this meat? I mean, yeah. What's your trade? You're, uh, you're an electrician. electrician, yeah. electrician yeah. Field, you would think yeah. he's a butcher because he just loves yeah. cutting into meat. And, he's uh, good at it, too. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and he gets right after it. But think about, think about it this way here. I'll pose this question differently. We get You get into a herd and you see... A decent, let's say he's, he's a small, I don't know, 280, 296 point, okay? And there's a raghorn that comes out to 60 yards, and that six point's got a possibility coming in. Which on the opening day, would you still take the raghorn at that point? Uh, it'd only be in my second year elk hunting. I'd probably still shoot the raghorn, yes. Okay. And that, I, Absolutely. Hey, that's cool. I, mean, I, I think if the opportunity's the, there, I'm letting yeah, the arrow fly. The value of of hunting is is that not everybody gets to kill and when you have that opportunity you know some people don't take advantage of it and they end up eating tag soup and the yeah. people that do you know are able to provide you know meat for a year i, I think part of it too is uh you know not to interrupt sorry lucas no, but, you're uh, good you know i think it's uh 
you know, Brandon, he only gets to come up here and hunt in Montana once a year. So, right. I mean, some of these guys live in, in Montana, like, you know, my brother-in-law that will, you know, eventually he'll be on the podcast. He's, he's probably one of the funniest guys I've ever met in my life. But, yeah, we'll you get know, he gets to hunt 30 days yeah. out of a year. It's living in or Montana longer. right in the middle of the elk yeah, country. Longer. And, yeah, I mean, of course he's going to try and shoot something a little bigger. But when you're when you're coming out of state, you just want to, you just want to hunt. You want to be successful. And a successful hunt to us is in a... 350 bullets on the ground a successful hunt to us is you know we're doing high fives and fist pumping when we shoot a cow or a yep. raycorn we just love to get out here and do a little hunting and uh i think that's you know some people are in it to trophy hunt we're here to just have fun enjoy the adventure and what's the motto rna outdoors yeah the, the motto is it's not about the inches it's about the adventure that's right? right that's what we're about it's that's right you know if if we were just here to trophy hunt we probably would be going home every year you know with the tag still in our pocket and not strapped on a set of antlers or connected to a bunch of meat. So I think that's really the, the basis around, you know, what we want to do and talk about it. It's, yeah, I mean, clearly we're out there to hunt trophy class animals. And I, I don't So cons- maybe we should ask Lucas this question there. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, scenario. Ask me the, so the scenario, ask me the scenario is when the big six points back there a hundred yards and the mm-hmm. old raghorn walks in opening day at 40, what do you do? So, <laughs> I let the raghorn live, and here's my here's my reasoning why. So he feels bad for Brandon. Or no, I don't feel bad for Brandon. <laughs> I know I know where Brandon's values are, and it, he he's a he's a killer. That's what he is. That's right. He likes to kill, not hunt. But That's for me, I mean, it's exactly. I don't consider myself a trophy hunter. But when I think about you know taking the life of an animal, I would rather take the life of an animal that's been able to you know procreate for many years. And whether he's a big animal or a small animal, I don't care. And to me, it's about taking an older age class animal. So if I have that opportunity, I'm going to do what I can to take that older class age animal if it's possible. Now, on the opening day, yeah, I'm going to probably let a five-pointer raghorn walk by me. And I did do that. And I thought about it on the way home. I'm thinking, am I going to regret that? But I didn't because the next day I went in and I shot a pretty decent five-point and uh and looking back at it now, would I have had any other opportunities? Probably not, because we got into a lot of elk, and I was in the same shoes as you guys. And, uh, you know, we, we've had some opportunities at elk, but not to the opportunities that I had the first two days. But that's just that's just me and my, my value set. I mean, I'm clearly out there, too, to, to, to provide meat for my family. But I'm going to let a smaller age-class animal live um, to try to go for an older age, older age class animal, just based on, um, you know, an animal that's had an ability to live for five to seven years versus one that's only had two to three years to live. So, but that's me, right? I mean, that's that's kind of where I sit. But you know, you have to think about it a couple different ways. I mean, meat's meat, you know, and it, it's you can't eat the horns. I've always I've always said that too, yeah, that's right? True. So, but yeah, I think I would let the raghorn slip on opening day and and wait for something better and if i didn't get something that year i would probably kick myself in the butt for it but. yeah i'm gonna think it comes down for me you asked me that question it you know it really depends for me is where we're at what the hunt is like you know last last night i missed that six point but i mean i had two cows that walked within 20 yards and i think it was uh it was that goal in my life doesn't matter what it is but to see a big six point bull fall and have to pack that thing out five miles. I mean, just knowing that that takes some that takes some uh, hard work. And I mean, we had to pack out Brandon's bull the same off the hill. But 
you know, if if a Raycorn would have walked in, you know, with a six point back behind it, and I know it's late in the season, I think I would hold out, you know, and just uh, it's just that, you know, I might eat my tag, but I just I just know I had that opportunity to try and shoot a big bowl, and you know, Brandon, I had that same opportunity to try and shoot that Raycorn that Brandon ended up sticking, and and I knew I'd already blew my shot on on the big six point, so you know, I was willing to take that smaller one at that point, so. You know, I think it just depends on, on, on what you want to do. I know, uh, you know, when you've probably killed a few elk, you're probably looking for something, you know, that, mm-hmm. that adventure, that, that that animal that you can sit there and be super proud of. And, you know, same thing is sometimes you might drive down a road and see a big bull right off the road, but is that really what you want to do? You want to shoot that big bull, you know, 200 yards off the road and be able to just drag it up to the truck and shoot it? You know, I don't know. I mean, for me, it's, it's more of the the pack out and putting that bowl on your back. You know, we had four guys pack out these bowls the last couple of days and I mean, just, it's enjoyable. It's hard work. I mean, we were dying when we got to the truck last night and uh, <laughs> I think that's more of the, of the excitement of elk hunting to me is when you got your buddies around you and you're packing out these elk and I mean, you're testing your body like you can't believe it's that, it's that struggle mentally to get down the hill or up the hill. And, you know, Lucas is definitely in the best shape out of all of us, but I think he works a little hard. He doesn't have kids yet. I think that's his problem. (laughs) He's got a wife who lets him go work out four or five hours a day or whatever. I wish I had that. (laughs) But I think that's that's the fun part. You test testing your mental fortitude to see what you can actually accomplish. You know, whether it's a small bull, big bull, it doesn't matter. I just want to be out there in the woods and and hunting and hunting and doing what we love. Yep, absolutely. Okay, so. We're going to just shift gears a little bit and talk about, um, you know, when we're in the elk woods, if we had to choose one, so if you had to leave the truck and you had to take your trusty cow call or all you could take was your bugle, Tyler, what would it be for you? Which one and why? So why would you take what you would take and what would be your reasoning behind it? Well, and if, one, it's, if it's a scenario for both, then play both. That's fine. But for I'm one, I'm not, that, I'm not that good of a bugler. So uh, yeah, I you think uh, you know, I do all right calling a few few men. I would definitely have to go with a cow call. I think a cow call is, you know, I mean, what, what are bulls out there doing during the rut? They're rutting, right? They're looking for cows. Yep. So I think if you're going to do anything, uh, you know, and there, there's some different philosophies. There's some guys we know that are professional hunters that have killed way more elk than us that leave a cow call in the truck. Yep. And there's other guys, you know, that, you know, I think I think if it's for me, I go with the cow call. It's a cow call because that's what they're looking for, looking for a cow. I mean, whether they're hot or not, at least you can actually entertain them. Yeah. And you can get in on them thinking that you're another elk at a minimum. You're not a person. You're another elk moving in on them. Yeah. So I think, you know, for me, definitely a cow call. Okay. Brandon, what about you? I, I have to agree with Tyler. I mean, you can let out that cow call and at least locate them. And if you have to be aggressive, you know where to go to get them. And every time every time we've uh, cow called on this trip, they seem to have, uh, not all the time, but most of the time they'll respond to you and you, we can at least get in on them. Responded more to the cow call than the bugle. Right. Is there any specific type of cow call that you're... Uh, a little more well, favorite to versus. Plug, plug yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, this this man right here may have some. They, information they call for me us. the cowgirl for a reason. Yeah. So the no primos, primos cowgirl. No primos. Got that. What happened little, last? Little Let's wine to it. Tell a story about last year, there, Mr. Paul. Yeah. So last year, uh, hunting an area where we got into quite a bit of elk, and uh, we were on kind of a two-day slide. We hadn't seen or heard anything. So I said, you know, hey, wounded knee, pull out that that cowgirl so he pulls it out and starts 
<laughs> Next thing you know, this bull bugles. We're like, okay. So we set up, and of course, he goes up farther than me. I thought the bull was going to slip us from behind based on the wind. And out comes old Billy Big Bull, probably oh, 320 man. bull, walks through a meadow in front of us at about a hundred yards. And all I could do was sit and watch him walk in front of me because I had no shot. And my heart sunk knowing that you could have you could have shot him yeah, where was, you were sitting. I was in prime position. And uh, all I could do was sit and watch that happen. So, yeah, so the cowgirls kind of got a special place, and I know in your heart. Uh, Primo's cowgirl. Yeah, the Primo's cowgirl. We didn't even get to it's use only, it much this year. It's only though, my right? second. It's only my second year. That's really the only call I know how to use. Yeah, so. yeah. We didn't really pull the Stick closer with. out. We always we talk about the cowgirl being in the bottom of the ninth. What are you going to pull out? You're going to pull out the cowgirl. <laughs> Two outs. Yeah. Two outs. Bottom Bases of the ninth. Loaded, full Br- count. Bring in the closer. Right. That's right. <laughs> bring him in to, to end it. How about you, Tyler? Any specific cow call that that you know, works better or you found to have yeah, better you know, success have, in the field? I have like a, you know, uh, Wayne Carlton open read that tends to, tends to work pretty well for me. I mean, I've called in a few bulls. I'm, I'm definitely not a extremely successful bow hunter, but, um, I think that's one of the better ones. And, you know, I started using these, these Rocky Mountain, uh, bugling bowl calls mm-hmm. and they seem to work pretty well, especially for, for bugling. And, you know, I think it's just a matter of whatever call you use, you get good at it. Yeah. Know how to use it know how to call them but sometimes you have to switch it up sometimes you know some people want to just push on the hoochie mama because it's easy to use and it's not a bad call it works but uh you know i just think whatever call you use get good at it get proficient at it know how to use it and switch it up a little bit have two or three calls in your pocket that you can use i mean you don't need a you don't need a lanyard of 15 calls to call an elk but switch it up a little cow call a little calf call etc but you know i think uh I think whatever call you use, there's so many good calls out there that all yeah. these guys are professionals. They know how to call, and you switch it up a bit, and I think you'll be fine. I agree. It's hard. It's hard to beat some of the Primos products, and I've got a couple Hyperlip Single. That's that's kind of your standard elk call that a lot of folks use. But Bugling Bull has got some excellent open open read uh, calls. The Matriarch, um, mm-hmm. you know, a couple of the other ones that you talked about, and even and some of the 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 palette calls that they have. Uh, Corey Jacobson's all-star read. I mean, that thing, you can cow call with the best of a man bugle with, with a single with a single read, which is nice because a lot of them aren't designed to do that. But if you would ask me that question, um, it's probably a split, but I would probably rely again more on a cow call. I think I've had better success with bulls um, with a cow call. You know, I think the other advantage uh, is, you know, specifically with a cow call, uh, is you know typically we can emulate the sound of a call much easier than you can trying to you know bust through a bugle and the be- the beauty of a bugle is is you can locate a bull right a lot of times you won't locate a, a bull with a cow call but and when you kind of throw that locate bugle out there and you got yeah. one that talks back to you you know typically you can understand behavior and go in on them you locate know, right them. after I that think the keys bring both every time you go you know? yeah and that's absolutely <laughs> it. bring them both absolutely so. <laughs> And get, yeah. get proficient to both of them. I always think about that question, though. If I only had to choose one, what would it be? And I, I agree. I think our I think our um, unanimous decision would be is obviously the cow call would be probably the one we wouldn't leave the truck without. Absolutely. Okay. Um, we're just going to kind of um, wrap things up here and, and just talk about a little bit of um, controversy that's happening uh, in our world and something that I think is important that we all keep on our radar. And it's 
really around um, this movement, and, it, and it's happening in, in quite a few states. It's actually happening in a lot of the states in the Midwest where a lot of the federal lands that have been managed uh, by the federal government are now starting to fall into state management. So um, I was just reading an article recently about um, Iowa, uh, a section of land. Actually, there was about 10 sections of land where folks used to whitetail hunt um, that was all federal lands that fell into the state of Iowa, and they actually sold the properties to, to landowners, local landowners, for you know millions of dollars. And what that does is it stimulates economy for the state, but Short term. it takes away you know our public lands. And when you think about public lands, I mean, we're all, we all own land, right? We can all go out into the National Forest, into BLM, state of Montana lands, or whatever state you're in, and do any activities we want to do out there because we are public land owners of that of that land. But what's scary is is that more and more of this movement's happening, uh, and a lot of folks have been talking about it around you know obviously the unintended consequences of what it will do for for DIY hunters. And specifically, you know, it, eventually what will happen is is you'll start to see states that are predominantly private property, and there'll be no place for us to hunt or fish anymore. Uh, and you know, obviously, we we know you know what that's going to cause uh, in the future. But do you guys have any comments about you know what that what what your thoughts are around states managing land, selling it off to to private entities versus keeping them public? I definitely do. I mean, this is a this is something that Lucas and you know you and I have talked a lot about, and uh, I think this whole state management is you know yes, the you know, a lot of people disagree that the. Or agree that the feds have now managed our federal lands appropriately, but I mean, put put this scenario together, okay? You have a state wherever it is, Nevada, California, Montana, that has a little bit of a a financial problem. They they end up taking over all these federal lands, and I mean, this is these are massive lands, right? This most state state cannot manage this this property that they have, and uh, you know, you put in the scenario that they come into a a financial problem with states which they all do at some point, you know, whether it's five years from now, 10 years, 15 years from now, and they have these prime properties that are for sale. So what do they do? It comes to the high bidder. These are all old federal, federal lands that, okay, high bidder, we need to sell these lands, and it doesn't matter if it's 10 acres or 2,000 acres. These properties could be something that all us, whether you're a, I don't care if you're a hunter, you're a fisherman, you're just an outdoor recreationist that doesn't even like hunting. You might just like to go hike. You might like to go do whatever you want outdoors. But guess what? You're not going to be able to even use that property because that state's going to sell that property, and they're going to sell it to the highest bidder so they can take a short-term, a short-term problem with their deficit or whatever with their budget, and they're going to turn that into to a slight profit for it, for you know a short-term problem. And the next thing you know is that property's gone forever. Because once it's gone out of federal or state land, it's gone forever. You will never get that back. And it's not just these state land. It's, you know, these landowners that are here now and, you know, hunters and landowners and fishermen and landowners have to get along. But I think this is a ploy myself by the, the super ultra wealthy in the United States that have the money that they can go up lock up these lands. They can push these lands into state, and they know what's going to happen. When the state gets in trouble, the state is going to sell that property. And guess what happens? We're on the short end of the stick. Us middle, you know, middle-class people that are just paying taxes, that love the outdoors, that enjoy it, that take care of these things, and that property is going to disappear forever. You're never going to get it back. And I think that's the problem is, yes, some landowners agree that 
we can take in over these lands, we can manage them better than the Forest Service, but what's going to happen to those lands? They're going to be gone forever. Yeah. They're going to get closed off. And, uh, you know, I'm a private property owner. I own small property here in southwest Montana. I don't want people out here running amok on my property. Um, so it's the same thing that's going to happen. They're going to close yeah. those lawns off forever, and you're never going to get them back. So I'm getting, I, think it's a, I think it's a bonehead idea, and the people that are pushing it, um, you know, are, are not the kind of people that you want to be, you know, an outdoorsman and they might say they're outdoorsmen and they're going to help support it. But I think it's a really, really bad decision that's going to affect people, not for our generation, for the next generation, our kids generation. You know, it's, it's really an unfortunate situation that people need to educate themselves about and they need to really get involved with politics. I mean, you know, I'm not a big political guy. Are you Lucas? Not really. Hey, Brandon, but <laughs> no. this is one of those issues that can affect yeah, you for a lifetime voice. because uh, you make you allow them the, the federal lands to be transferred to the state. That's exactly what's going to happen. Yeah. So, Brandon, you're relatively, I mean, new to elk hunting and coming to Montana. I mean, what would it be like to you if you couldn't come up here and elk hunt anymore because, you know, 90% of Montana is private property? Oh, man, I... I just, I just don't understand. Like, we do our part as outdoorsmen to take care of the privileges that we have. I mean, we don't, we don't take them for granted. But for that to go away, I mean, I mean, what would, a, what would a guy do from that point? I mean, I just don't understand all the controversy of it going to state management. Like uh, Tyler said, the writing's on the wall. But it's really unfortunate for us. Yeah, I think the, the other for me, the scary part is, and Tyler talked about it, but it's, it's the next generation, right, of conservation. I mean. How can we conserve, you know, what we do from a hunting standpoint if no one's going to have opportunities to hunt? No one can get access to hunt because you're going to have fences that are going to be boarded off, no trespassing, fence posts, you know, painted orange, and it's only going to be the wealthy. And that's what, unfortunately, a lot of some of our, our sport has turned into is, you know, it's the wealthy that can afford to go and do some of that versus folks that, you know, like us that just want to go out and and try to do it on a DIY, you know, premise where we're not going to have those opportunities if this continues to go. And it is scary. It's a scary thought to think that states that are in deficits will turn around that and sell that land to try to make a profit. And, uh, you know, again, it, it's, it's, it's simple democracy. It doesn't work, right? There's not a plan. And uh, they really need to figure out their deficit versus using, you know, state lands to to turn that deficit around and think that they're going to make it happen. And I think this is something that, you know, all, whether you're a hunter or fisherman, and we talk about hunting mostly because this is what affects us the most is, you know, my brother's a non-hunter. And, uh, you know, I was kind of talking to him about this when I came back uh, here a few weeks ago. And, you know, I I mentioned this. I said, you know, there's a big movement to take state lands. And he's a big hiker. He likes to go hike and he likes to hike into mountain lakes and do a little fishing. And I kind of explained, you know, what could happen. And he's not a hunter. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they think this is something that, you know, not all outdoor recreationists agree with hunting, but at the end of the day, we all enjoy the outdoors, right? And this is something I think all of us can band together for once that we can really gel and say, hey, okay, enough's enough. We're not going to sell these public lands. We're going to keep these in, you know, maybe the public lands, the federals, the, you know, they can manage these properties better. But at the end of the day, transferring them to state, I think, is a bad decision. I think this is something that we all need to be verbal about you need to tell your you need to tell every, all your peers everybody you know even if they're not a hunter even if they're a fisherman just that if you lose these properties they're never coming back and that's the the you know i've lived overseas for the past eight years now and the joy of coming back to the u.s and knowing that i can go into the woods i can cut a tree down i can uh 
you know, with, with certain amount of permits anyways. I can start mm -hmm. a fire, I can hunt, I can fish. The freedom that you have in the United States that can be taken away like that, you take for granted, is, is really something that we need to gel out and we need to, we need to combine efforts and we really need to push the effort to, to, to make this change. We need to really, uh, really uh, combine efforts. Yep. I think the key is, is get involved in political issues that affect you and, you know, say, have a voice. I mean, you know, whether it's through, you know, foundations, Rocky Mountain Elk, SCI, or even like backcountry hunters and anglers. I mean, all these different foundations and associations yep. are trying to stand up for our freedoms and things that were given to us in the Teddy Roosevelt age, right? I mean, he wrote this into law years ago when he was president that we will have public lands and that we will in enjoy these lands, um, you know, for years to come. And, you know, again, you're seeing this shift where, you know, we're starting to take away some of our constitutional rights. And we do have a say, and we, we need to be strong, and we need to voice our opinions because every vote, just like with voting for, you know, we got a president change, you know, happening in a couple months. I mean, every vote counts, and it's important that we get out and vote. This is another one of those topics that's important that yep. we have a voice on. I agree, and I think, you know, it's everyone thinks it's such a daunting task to become political. It doesn't matter if you're talking to a county commissioner, city commissioner is just, you, you know, you don't want to write a letter to the governor and you think that's, you know, it's, it's just going to fall on deaf ears. Just talk to your friends. You know, I talked to my brother. He had no idea about this thing going on. Mm -hmm. It's something that, uh, you know, he didn't understand. And, you know, I explained it to him and he was, you know, he's all for it. Now he understands and he's probably going to, you know, he's going to tell his friend. He's going to tell his friend. And then word gets out that, hey, we can't allow this to happen. And I think that's where you start. If you don't want to write a letter, fine. If you don't want to contact your county commissioner and discuss it, the governor, the state legislature, start small. Just yep. start spreading the word that this is what's going to happen. And, uh, you know, the bigger voice we have, the better off we will be when it comes to a vote that everyone's educated because it always, it always comes down to who's the educated voter and who's not. If you're the uneducated voter, somebody gives you propaganda, you're going to buy into it. But if you understand this issue and the situation you will vote correctly and you will save these public lands for us. Yep, absolutely. Okay, so with that, we're going to go ahead and, and kind of wrap this up and just kind of talk through closing remarks. So, Brandon, I want to ask you, um, you know, from the time you got here till now, you know, what what are some things that maybe you learned, maybe some things that, you know, you can take in the next season or maybe your next hunting trip um, that'll maybe make you a better hunter? Buy more forward. arrows, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Invest in more. How many equipment. arrows did you bring? Uh, I brought ten. How many we you going home with? Like four. Okay, yeah, that's right. You <laughs> got Plus, he's got a dead elk in the back. That's you got to keep that, Easton right? in business, that's right? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's right. But yes, but but just to close, I mean, on your on your week, you talked about highs and lows. I mean, what do you take away from this trip that you know obviously will make you a better hunter in the future? Man, highs and lows, you can't say that enough. Um, just ne don't get discouraged. It was so easy for me to get discouraged of being on the first day and hitting that bull and, and not being able to find it and then getting on more elk and, and missing another one and then and then all the way up until yesterday when I shot that one. I mean, there was one, there was some, some points in there where I was pretty emotional. Sure. P part of me wanted to just put my bow away because I was unconfident and I wasn't shooting well and Good thing I had Lucas and Tyler here behind me because calmed me down and just to, just they just uh, kept me positive and I just kept on kept on hunting like we always do and I think if I could sum up your week it'd be perseverance more than anything yeah, because absolutely. I was watching just your demeanor and your facial expressions and 
I know you pretty well, and I know that you don't give up, and I knew you weren't going to give up, but at, at a few points, you were... I was were, pretty close. Yeah, you were pretty close to kicking yourself off the mountain, because yeah. you're pretty hard on yourself, but, I mean, the key is, is you stuck through it, and uh, what did I tell you the whole week? What did I tell you? You're going to... Well, you, I kept you, said it, you said it like three or four times, I'm not worried about... You're going to get an elk. I'm not worried about getting you an elk. Yeah. <laughs> and I knew it's... And what happens, it happens... So fast. That quick. Right? And, and I mean, it did happen that fast. You're down and down and down. Next thing you know, wham, you got a bull at 40 yards sitting there looking at your broadside. It just, it always happens that way. It happens yeah. so fast. I wish it happened like that for me, but anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I think, so, Tyler. <laughs> the things I can take away from this yeah. is just always stay positive and, and always always keep the boots on the ground. Yeah. Just stay aggressive and keep hunting. Yeah. Don't ever quit. Yeah. I agree with that. How about you, Tyler? You're uh you know, you, you only get to come here and do this once a year and, you know, you're li- somewhat limited time frame. So you got to condense this trip down and make it happen. And, yeah. you know, you've been hunting for a lot of years. What are some things that maybe you take away from this year's hunting season? I, mean, I think it all comes down to the same thing for, for me. It's just be prepared. I mean, be prepared physically. And it's not easy to come out here and hike these mountains. You know, we, you know, you guys are the same from, from California right now. That living down on sea level, it's tough. There's yeah. no way, and we've talked about this how many times on this trip. There's no way to prepare for what you encounter in the mountains. If you really want to go shoot an elk, you might get lucky. You might get one close to the road, but most times you're not. You're going to be packing in four or five miles. Be prepared, you know. You know, bring water. You never know if you're going to be coming off that mountain and you're going to hear elk and all. I'm why would you say I'm bring kinda, water? I mean, I'm kind of giving Brandon shit on ding, this ding. one anyways. Why is that important? Because <laughs> I had to put chlorine tablets because I got water out of the creek. That's and I right. always, you know, I always come prepared is, uh, and you never know, like just something simple like water. You think, oh, we're just going to hike down this hill and it's not going to be a big deal. The next thing you know is, you know, I'll give you an example. Yesterday was, we thought we were just going to hike down in here, get on some elk, and a couple guys with us, I won't say names, <coughs> Williams, uh, but, uh, <laughs> you know, didn't bring any water with us, so I mean, I always bring tablets with me, because yes. I know, and I drink a lot of water when I'm on the hill, and I know, I know Lucas doesn't sometimes, but I know I get dehydrated quickly, and uh, I always bring tablets, when we got down to a spring, we were chasing these elk, and we ended up in there all day from sun up to sundown. well past sundown, mm-hmm. we didn't get back to the truck until almost 11.30, back to the cabin almost one o'clock in the morning and uh i think the biggest thing is just be prepared be prepared for the unexpected you never know what's going to happen you don't know if that elk is going to be bugling 200 yards from you or five miles down the hill and your natural instinct is just to go after it so be prepared bring snacks bring water bring plenty of uh taco john's toilet paper and uh, <laughs> so yeah so, i think that's that's the one thing i take away from this trip is just you know, try to prepare yourself for the hunt. It's it's not it's not an easy task out here. These yeah. mountains are a lot bigger than people think. You got a lot of up and down. You know, I mean, there's certain tools, and maybe we'll get into that later in podcasts. Or I'm sure Lucas will on, on what kind of gear and tactics to use. Is is gear is very important. Um, but I think just be prepared. You know, be prepared for for anything that can happen. You never know where you're going to be at on the mountain, and and just just try to get in the best physical shape you can. You know, sometimes it's hard for people that are commuting and you have kids and it's work, but even just, you know, 20 minutes a day, just go walk down the street, do something, just trying to prepare yourself, throw a 70 pound pack on and just try and hike. That's, that's the best thing you can do because it's going to happen, whether you're packing elk or, or you're coming in light and going out heavy, which is tomorrow right. for most people. But, yeah. And you never know. Good. So, yeah. So. And yours? Part of my, so my thunder is, is, 
you know, don't eat Mexican food two days in a row <laughs> and expect to have a good outcome. This is coming from the machine that beats everyone up the mountain. Yeah. The Lucas Paw, the animal. Yeah. He's Hold waiting, on, at, he's waiting at the truck. We're two miles in. Yeah. Still. yeah. Yesterday I lived on a cliff bar and about maybe a liter of water and then a few Ritz crackers when I got back to the truck. So what would you change from yesterday? What would you have done? Um, it was so, a long day. We weren't expecting that. It was hot. No, yesterday it was, was a long day and it kind of wraps into... I guess my week is just being aggressive and pushing the elk, especially when you're calling elk and they may respond, but they're not doing what you want them to do, right? They're not coming in on a line at 20 yards and and having multiple shooters set up. So you have to change your tactic. And it's solidified for me, again, the years I've been successful hunting animals, it's been because I just said, forget it. I'm going in. I'm going to get aggressive. If I push a few, I'm going to push a few, but it's, I'd rather do that than sit back, wait to think that they're going to come to me, and here it's dark and I don't have any opportunities. But I don't know that I would have changed a whole lot yesterday, other than the fact, um, you know, there was a couple times where, um, you know, we got into elk and we were kind of questioning. There was a, actually a, a scenario where we were above them, and do we go in? Do we try to get a shot? And uh, you know, sometimes just waiting and being patient uh, is another key to to being successful in hunting and. I have the hardest time doing that because I always want to be in there. I want to keep moving, but I've had to tell myself over time that, you know, patience kills and and you talk to a lot of guys in the industry and they'll tell you the same thing, right? They'll, they'll sit on top of a mountain for 12 hours waiting for a buck to get up uh, and make its move. uh, And then they'll spend all day on a stock, right? Or we can spend all day on a stock and you may blow it by spending eight, 10 hours doing that. But sometimes that's what you have to do. So, but I think for me, you know, overall, I think, you know, we, we had a really successful week. Um, I think we, we obviously, um, we're very successful in what we've done. I mean, obviously we're going to be putting some meat in the freezer. Some tags aren't going to get filled, but I mean, that's all a part of it. I mean, that's why we do it. We, we do this because, you know, we love outdoors. We love to support the state of Montana, right? It's not cheap for us to come up here and do this, but it's all a part in, in what we do uh, and, and how we do it. And I think that's really what's what makes, um, you know, our opportunities in hunting what it is, is because we just love to do it. It's not a matter of, um, you know, most people don't take a vacation to go and walk 10 to 12 miles a day, packing meat out, <laughs> with struggling. Your back, right? Most know? people are like, I'm going to go to Cabo with my family and sit on a beach for vacation. Yeah. That's not my idea of vacation. No. Um, I do that with my wife when she wants to, but she knows she married a hunter and knows that uh, I need at least a couple weeks out of the year to do this. So, But yeah, I think overall, very successful week. Um, you know, we've... we've uh, you know, we've done a lot of good things. We've made a lot of mistakes, but that's what makes us better hunters. Uh, when we go out in the field next time, uh, we've got a bear hunt coming up, looking at us here in another month. So, you know, that'll be uh, that'll be fun to take some of the things that we did here in Montana and, and maybe employ those as we go forward uh, in our next hunting ex- adventure. So, always te- always test your equipment. Yeah, we'll save that for another podcast. <laughs> We're not going to go there. So, just real briefly. Um, I'll ask both of you guys, just maybe tell the listeners how they can get a hold of you guys, whether it's social media, platforms, cell phone, because part of what we're going to do is, you know, we're going to be building a staff of folks uh, on RNA Outdoors, or we're going to be providing folks with information uh, and ways to get a hold of us. So, Brandon, how could how could someone get a hold of you if they wanted to know how to shoot maybe two bull elk in two years? <laughs> well, I have a Facebook. You can, get, you can find me uh, on Facebook. Um under Brandon Williams, and then my cell phone is uh, 
Very cool. So I don't have any. I don't have a Twitter account or anything. So. Oh, you don't tweet, huh? No, you're not a tweeter. <laughs> I don't have any followers. That's why I don't tweet. Yeah. How about you, Tyler? How could someone get a hold of you if they wanted to know maybe how to shoot a sheep in in Nevada? Or... Yeah, I mean, I think I think one of the things that you know you just started up this RNA, Lucas, and you know we're just trying to get this ball. I think one thing is we need to just kind of provide some links at some point off the RNA doors, but. You know, you can always get a hold of me. I live overseas right now, so um, you know, I've been hunting in in quite a few places. I've been to Arizona, Nevada, uh, a little bit in California, mostly Montana, some in Idaho. Been to Colorado hunting a bit, and uh, you know, I'll try and help you guys out as much as I can. Obviously, I'm not going to give you any of our secret honey holes right to where to go, but I will give you guys, uh, you know, as much information. But you can give me an email. Uh, my name, email's at tyhouston t y h u s t n at gmail dot com or um, you know. Best way is get a hold of me there on Facebook, uh, Tyler Houston on Facebook. I think the account's registered under Reno, Nevada. You look me up, and I'll help you guys out as much as you want. Um, give you some insights. If it's just quick questions on what kind of gear, what areas to put in for, you know, what should you expect, what kind of weather. You know, we're here to help, and uh, I think you know we're we're average hunters. We are not a we're not ultra elite to hunting private land. We're just these guys that are just trying to get out there in the outdoors and enjoy it so you know we'll help you out and give you every pointer that we can you know we do have some years of experience you know we all started hunting um since we were little kids especially lucas and i up here in montana where we have so many opportunities uh you know so we've been around you know we all i have 25 years of hunting experience plus when i was before i could hunt you know 30 plus years and and uh you know we're just here to help you guys out so if you guys ever have any questions go ahead and contact us on that and i think eventually lucas will probably put up some links on yep on the website and and we're here to help you guys out yeah so platforms for rod and arrow outdoors you can go to www.rnaoutdoors or rodnarrowoutdoors.com either domain will get you to our website um, we're going to be launching uh, both uh, facebook social media um, we've got a youtube account created where we're going to be putting a lot of uh uh, input and, and insight on YouTube videos, uh, tutorials, uh, different scenarios we're going to work into the YouTube channel. We will have a Twitter account, uh, and we also uh, have an Instagram account, so we'll be pushing those out soon. Again, all of them are under rnaoutdoors.com. You can get a hold of me on the website under the contact. Uh, you can find me there uh, as well. Um, email address lucas at rnaoutdoors.com is probably the easiest way to get a hold of me. Shoot us a message. Send me an email. If you have any questions about what we're doing, what we're trying to do, what the website's about, um, feel free to email us. Uh, and you know, our plan is to to you know get you information that you need. You know, every year there's new hunters buying hunting licenses. You know, folks that are in their 30s and 40s have never done it before. And part of our uh, intent is to take people like that and and have a platform for them to contact us and help them out. Right? If someone says, "Man, I want to go hunt elk in Montana," you know, like. Like Tyler said, we're not going to tell them exactly where our honey holes are, but we're going to give them some some really good options in, in areas that, you know, just by doing it by themselves, they would never know where to go. So that's part of our mission and what we want to do is, is help people become more successful, uh, whether it's hunting, fishing, outdoor activities. That's really what we're here to do. So with that, I want to thank uh, both Brandon and Tyler uh, for being here. Uh, it's getting late. It's actually uh, 1240 uh, on the Mountain Standard Time, so and we got to hunt tomorrow morning. Yeah, we're starting Pretty to burn cool. yeah. the midnight the midnight <laughs> oil, but I think it was important for us to get this first podcast off the ground. And we will be loading these on iTunes. So uh, when you do get the opportunity, please subscribe to the Rod and Arrow Outdoors podcast. Uh, leave us a message. 
Um, you know, obviously, uh, if you can put a review on there, be honest. It won't hurt our feelings. You know, we want to try to make this better and something that you all will take uh, and hopefully use uh, and get some insight as you go out into the outdoors. So podcast number one, Boots on the September Ground in Montana. Again, I want to thank Brandon and Tyler for being here, uh, and we'll see you guys uh, next time.